What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon NBA on Twitter. So I cover the Houston Rockets. I'm not a draft analyst. I watch the prospects and I put a big board out that nobody should put any weight on. But this is not my forte. I only enjoy watching college of basketball and like U of H playing. So I like to bring on guys who do watch college of basketball and have much more experience in this arena. And I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather have on than Tony Jones. He covers the Utah Jazz for the Athletic. Tony, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate you. For sure, for sure. I mean, life has gotten really busy for you, I imagine, with uh, Quinn Snyder's uh, dismissal. Or not even dismissal. He just he departed. No, it was the opposite of, the, of a dismissal. The Jazz wanted him to stay pretty badly. Right, right, yeah. And it was – we all saw that it was coming or it was a possibility, but it just the timing always it, – it's always a surprise. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things like I, I didn't – I thought he would come back or whatever, but – You know, obviously, um, you know, Quinn, for his own reasons, felt that he had to step away um, from from the jazz. And, you know, I thought that, um, you know, I mean, I was I was surprised, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, now you just kind of got to move on from it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer for the Utah Jazz. And it already was one before this happened. But this is also this just adds to the chaos there and I and that's been a franchise for the past like two decades that's had like it's been a model of stability I would say you know front office coaching staff even the teams have been very good uh it's just this is just a unique period where you know there's a lot of pressure to win uh there's a young star in house and now they just have to find a new direction in trying to win yeah you know I think that you know the the the, the most poignant thing that you said was there was a, there's there's pressure to win because, you know, the Donovan Mitchell factor, um, you know, and I think the Jazz, um, you know, are going to put try to put their best foot forward. Um, you know, they're going to try to put their best foot forward and they're going to try to um, win, um, you know, to the, to the best of their ability uh, next season. And, you know, but I think a lot is going to have is going to, you know, have to do with whatever moves that they make over the next month, because, you know, it's not going to be easy to win in the Western Conference. I think the West is going to be, you know, absolutely stacked next year. And, you know, and and I think that if it's, it's easy for a team, for a roster to drop a level, but the West be so unforgiving that you know, the record drops, you know, several levels. So, you know, the Jazz are going to have to be, um, you know, if they want to stay at the same level that they've been at or if they want to, you know, improve on the level that they've been at, um, they're going to have to make really good moves, um, really, you know, thoughtful moves um, this offseason. And, you know, whatever move that they make, whatever moves that they make or whatever moves that they don't make, um, those moves are going to have to turn out correct uh, once the season starts. For sure. The Jazz, along with the Lakers, are the two most interesting teams of the offseason, and both ironically in the Western Conference, where teams are going to get healthier. And as you said, the West was already a beast. So it's going to be tough. But I did not bring you on to talk about the Western Conference. Uh, we are going to be talking about the NBA draft today. And it's interesting because... I've been trying to gauge what others think about this upcoming class for the past few months. And I think this class is good, but I can't shake the feeling that 2021 was deeper and a little better at the top. How do you feel about this draft, Tony? Um, I think it's about the same at the top, to be honest. Really? When, when I say that, I think, you know, there's no obvious superstar like Kay Cunningham. Like, I think Kay was obvious. I thought Evan Mobley was almost obvious. I thought that, you know, he, he was pretty much almost obvious, but Scotty Barnes wasn't obvious and he, he became a real star. Um, you know, so you look at the guys who aren't as obvious, you know, a lot of people talk about Jaden Ivey, um, but he's not as obvious, you know, but he, he's somebody who could become a star. Um, I think Chad Holmgren, has a chance to be generational defensively. Um, I think that, 
um, you know, powered by Carroll. Um, I thought that he improved in his season at Duke. You know, I, I wasn't as high on him at the beginning of the season as I was by the end of the season. By the end of the season, I thought that he was a, a really, really good all-around player. And, you know, at this time last year, we weren't really talking about Jabari Smith. And, you know, and I think, you know, right now, you know, we're talking about Jabari Smith. And plus, you know, I think that there's some um, I think that there are some high variance level wings that are in the draft uh, that could down the road um, turn out to be uh, real star level players. People like Jeremy Sohan, people like A.J. Griffin, um, um, people like even Kendall Brown, who's um, probably going to go later in the draft. People. Um, people like even uh, Shaden Sharp, who I think ha- has a real high variance on on what he can be, uh, both positive and negatively. You know, we didn't. Um, you know, not not a lot of people. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, people like Benedict Matherin um, at this time last year. So I mean, there are people. You know, there there are definitely people who um, who who make. Um, Who've, who've made a rise and, you know, and I think, you know, I think that people aren't crazy about this draft, but I, I actually think that, you know, it's, it's, it has a chance to be a pretty good draft when all is said and done. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I, I do. I agree with you. And obviously Houston has the third overall pick and you said it, there doesn't, this seems to be a draft where there isn't a consensus number one, but there is a consensus top three. At least that's what I, that's what it seems like. And that's Jabari, Chet, and Paolo in whatever order you see fit. And I generally agree with the consensus, and I think those three are a step ahead of the rest of the pack, but I didn't always feel that way. And we can talk about that in a minute. But I want to know how you view the top of the, this draft, and like, is that your top three, or do you deviate a little bit from the consensus? Well, you know, I think the, the top three is, I think it can go either way right now. Like, you look at Orlando and – you know, what are their needs, you know, and, 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 you know, they could take chat. I mean, they could, to me, they could take either one of the three, you know, they're probably most likely to take either chat or Jabari. And then if you narrow down from there, if you look at what their needs are, they probably take Jabari because you don't, um, um, you don't know what the status of Jonathan Isaac is, um, you know, so they kind of need that big forward, uh, in, in, you know, Jabari is, is somebody who has real upside because, you know, he can really, really shoot the basketball. Um, you know, I think that he has some real pro one and true one and two dribble moves. Uh, I think that he has upside defensively, you know, my, my, um, question with him is, is sometimes he floats. You know, when I watched them at Auburn, but then some, but then again, you know, I, I, sometimes I really attribute that to uh, their guard play. Their, their guards really like to shoot the ball a lot. So um, there were times where uh, he and Walker Kessler uh, went, you know, real chunks of games without, you know, without getting a lot of touches. So, um, but, you know, he's, he's somebody, you know, Jabari, Jabari Smith, who who I just think that really um, has a chance to 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 be really good uh, with some strength and with some development, and you know as he heads heads deeper into his career. Yeah, I, I like Jabari a lot, and uh, you know I'm a little lower on in the consensus because I you know I do have concerns about the ball handling. I do have concerns uh, about his overall offensive game, but. Like you said it about Chet Holmgren, about him being potentially a generational defensive player. Uh, Jabari could potentially be a generational shooter. Like he is such a phenomenal shooter. And it's interesting, like when I watched his high school stuff, it it seemed like he really liked to go to the mid-range. And he seemed to like take a few steps back and take a bunch more threes when he got to college level. And that's probably why we weren't talking about him as much last this at this point last year. He just wasn't taking as many threes. And now he's taking a crap load of threes and hitting a bunch of really, really difficult looks uh, seems to get to that shot whenever he wants. And 
that's really where his star upside lies. Uh, and I think that's kind of why a lot of people view him as the top prospect in this draft. You know, I might, I may not view, view, view it that way, but I do think he's in the mix there. And, um, you know, that, that top three of Jabari, Chet, and Paolo is just so super talented. It's really hard to see where you can go wrong. And the player that scares the hell out of me more than anyone that I just talked about is, you know, the player you mentioned, Jaden Ivey. Because when I watch him play, my guttural reaction is, this guy's a top three pick. And he has the chance to be the best player in this class. And yet, I've placed him fourth on my board and in the second tier. And I don't feel good about that at all. I've second-guessed it a ton since I put it out. Are we are we doing Ivy a disservice by locking him in at number four? And can you see a GM in the top three swerving and picking him anyways? Uh, to your second question, yes. I can. Um, To your first question, no, we're not doing them a disservice because those first three guys are really good. Um, You know, so, I mean, in some ways, I think it's okay to have a top four instead of a top three, right? So, you know, the thing about Jaden is I think that he projects as a point guard at the next level. Um, I agree. He's got John Wall type of athleticism. Um, And – the thing that for me, what what, stu- what stands out to me is if you watch college basketball, it's really hard to get to the basket because the floor is in space. There's no spacing in college basketball as opposed to the pro game. And Jay Nivey got to, to into the lane, into the rim at will at college basketball, which leads me to believe that when he gets into the spacing of the NBA game, um, he has a chance to be a terror offensively um, because there aren't going to be many point guards with his size, his strength, his athleticism that are going to be able to stay in front of him. So what are the things that, you know, we have to see from Jaden Ivey? We have to see an improved jump shot. We saw that at Purdue. He shot almost 36% um, from three uh, in his, in his, in his previous season at Purdue. Um, you know, I thought that Matt Painter did him a disservice playing him off the ball as as much as he did. Um, you know, I would have had him on the ball a lot more uh, if I were Painter. Um, but he's going to be, you know, he's going to be on the ball when he gets in into the league. So, you know, unless Houston drafts him, of course, and then, you know, then I think that there's going to be some question there. But. You know, I, I, I think he's going to go fourth because I think that the first three teams, um, they're, you know, they're, their overlying needs are in the front court, which, you know, coincides to, to the first three guys. So, you know, and, I, and it's, it's really funny with Jaden Ivey because if you look at this draft, there's a chance that he, you know, Unless, you know, there, unless the, the one of the first five teams just say, you know what, we're just going to take best player available and we're going to make the pieces fit regardless, then there's a chance that Jay Ivey kind of slips a little bit because, um, you know, Orlando needs a front court guy. They're probably going to take Jabari um, if, if, you know, that's my guess. The Thunder... You know, they desperately need some rim protection, so they're probably going to take Chet. That would be my guess. Um, that means Paolo Bancaro, which, you know, especially with Christian Wood being an unrestricted free agent, you know, he falls into Houston's lap, and he's automatically he's, – he's an automatic 17 and 10 guy right off the bat. Um, and then you look at Sacramento. So they could take Jaden Ivey, and he's the best – player available, but you have De'Aaron Fox and you have um, Davion Mitchell there. And, you know, so maybe you take the best player available or, you know, maybe um, you go with a Keegan Murray, which is more in line of what they need. And then, okay, does Detroit take them? Because, you know, you have, they have Kay Cunningham. Um, and, you know, they certainly wouldn't be wise to take a lot of usage out of Kay Cunningham. So maybe – uh, they take, you know, 
an A.J. Griffin or a Matherin or a Shaden Sharp. And then, you know, Indiana has, has a point guard. And then Portland has a point guard, obviously. You know, this is, you know, I, I think ultimately he doesn't fall too far because he, you know, you know, once you get into five picks, five, six, and seven, he's going to be so overwhelmingly the best player on the board that, you know, you just kind of be a fool to pass him. But, you know, there's a chance that, you know, he goes five or six and, you know, we look back at this draft in in five or six years and he's one of the best two or three players in the draft. Yeah, if he falls past like the top five, th- that would really upset me. <laughs> that would really upset me because like, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm someone who's like best player available. Like figure it out later. Right. I understand there are fit concerns with Sacramento and the way the lottery shook up, it's really something that's going to work against Ivy in this draft and puts him in that danger of falling, as you mentioned. But, but you got to go. Know, I think guys. that that's one of the, I think that that's one of the reasons why we hear rumblings of Sacramento saying, "Hey, you can add a fourth pick if you give us a real veteran," or, um, you know, or, or you know, somebody like you know Portland at seven. Hey, you can have the seventh pick if you get a, a real veteran. I mean, it's this draft is going to because of this because of the way the lottery shook out because a lot of teams don't have money so there're going to be a lot of trade teams uh in the league this year and because the free agency market is you know not booming this this summer you know i think that i think that there's potential to be a lot of wheeling and dealing on draft night i mean you mentioned it there's seems like there's going to be opportunities for a team to move up and the Rockets are a, are a team with that's trying to rebuild, right? But they have a crap load of veterans on their team still. Uh, in Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, I would even count Jay Sean Tate as kind of a veteran light. He's 25 years old. Uh, you know, they have a bunch of good players that can help uh, a team that's trying to win. Do you see any room for them trying to move up? Because they have the 17th pick in this draft. They also own a bunch of Brooklyn picks from the Harden trade. They could put up a pretty serious offer if they wanted to, but do you think that's something they try to do? It depends on how far they can get and depends on, you know, what they can target. For me, if I were Houston, I would really sit tight on those Brooklyn picks because there's a chance that two or three years down the line, those picks could become very valuable. There, there's To me, there's a real chance to that. Um but, you know, if, if, you know, you're trying to win right away or you're trying to get to the fastest path of winning, I think that there's a chance um, that something like that happens. Um, but it would depend on, you know, I think obvious depends on the cost. Obvious depends on, you know, who's there that you would like, you know, and I think, one of the questions that Houston has to ask answer for him, itself is, do they have a point guard that's currently on the roster that's currently in their rotation? You know, is Kevin Porter Jr. an actual point guard or is he just um, uh, or is he a high usage, high ball handling wing? And, you know, I think that you have to answer that for you. They have to answer that, you know, and the answer might come. At pick number three, if they say, okay, guess what? We're picking Jaden Ivey because we want him to be our point guard. Uh, yeah, man, that, that would be truly crazy. If if any of these top three teams took Ivy, I think the internet, like, you know, we always talk about the internet breaking. I think the internet might break if, some, if somebody, <laughs> if, if, if these three guys aren't the top three picks. Can you imagine Sacramento of Paolo Boncaro, which is like the, the exact combination for it that they really need? Is, yeah. is still on the board. And then they were like, yeah, no, nah, we're going to take somebody else. Kind of like Luca and Mar- Marvin Bagley. Look, don't let me. Sorry, Sacramento fans. <laughs> yeah, if, if Paulo falls to like fifth or something, like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what I do with myself. I, I just, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 you have to, if you're Houston, I think what you said about who's available in those positions that you want 
right? I think that's the question I would ask myself when I when I try to at least negotiate with these teams, right? right. About moving up. You know, if AJ Griffin's there at ten or Matherin, or if you really like internally Shaden Sharp and you're willing to roll the dice and trade up to four or five, right? Then then that's when you do it, right? If if there's someone there that you really like, you know, Ben Ma- Ben Matherin, uh, AJ Griffin, Shaden Sharp, whoever, Malachi Brown, like then you go for it. But if there's someone there that you don't believe has star upside, I don't think you do it. I think you hold on to the picks. Like like you said, I think those Brooklyn picks have serious upside. But the thing with for me with Paolo Bancaro, if you're Houston, this time last year I thought um, my thought was, okay, if you take Bancaro, he's going to be a 20 and 10 guy for 10 years and – you're going to be safe with that, but how much upside does he have and how much impact does he have on the game? You know, is he just, you know, a 20 and 10 guy who's kind of like, you know, an empty, empty stats, low impact guy on it. Cause that's what I love about Chet. Chet can go eight, seven and five assists and have a massive impact on any game because he just impacts the game with, with the plays that he makes so much. But and that seven might be blocks. Right. That seven <laughs> might be blocks. But the thing that I've started to really come around on on Bancaro is I think that he has a lot more upside than I thought he had at this point of last year. And I think that he impacts games. Um, I, I think that he really improved um, at Duke in that aspect. I thought by the end of the year – you know, he was making real, like, little winning plays as well as, you know, obvious big plays. I think that um, he's he got a lot better at Duke defensively. I think he got a lot better defensively. Um, I thought that he, you know, held himself accountable at that end. And, you know, and I thought that he controlled games um, on both ends of the floor. You know, so for me, you know, I've, I, I, I've, I've become a lot higher on him over the last six months than I was last year. And I, you know, and I was high on them last year. Like I, you know, it's not easy to step into the league and be 17 and 10 right away. And I think that he has that ability. Um, and I thought he had that ability at this point last year, but now I think that he can be a lot more than that. Yeah. I, I feel the same way as you, like in that I got, I got higher on him as the season went on. Right. And like, particularly the tournament, like when you talk about these top five guys, I mean, nobody performed better than Paulo Banquero. Like he, right. he was he, he was the best tournament player. He talk about big game guys. He showed up for every big game mm-hmm. and led Duke. And that's gotta I mean if you're a talent evaluator, that's gotta matter at least a little bit that he showed up for those big moments and was not afraid of the bright lights. And you take you look at the basketball pocket package, I mean a six ten ball handler, like I know we've gotten so used to in the NBA we've gotten so used to that that it's it, we've just grown numb to it. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. That is so rare. And especially the, the the amount of polish that he has with the ball in his hands, the footwork. I mean, you could tell he was very much classically trained as a basketball player. Like his mom was a pro basketball player. The footwork, uh, the the Seattle roots, like he clearly was impacted by that, like growing up in that community, playing basketball there. He knows how to score. And he knows, ironically enough, he knows how to pass too. Uh, when when the double comes over, seems like he's always ready to make the extra pass and makes the extra pass in the shooting pocket, which I think is super hard for someone that young, like getting it in the right position for the guy to score. Uh, and I think that's something, a quality I didn't think he had until like the tournament came around and I was watching more of these Duke games and he really impressed me. He really did. I, that kind of impact on the offensive end just can't be ignored. Yeah, and that that's one of the reasons, you know, for me why I mean it's it's a real toss up who who goes number one, um, you know, I think that if if Jabbar if if the Magic are considering Jabari Smith, um, I think ultimately Smith probably gets the nod because he's a shooter with real size. I mean, he shot forty two percent from three uh, at Auburn. And he didn't have a lot of space to do that with. (laughs) I mean, these were contested 
heavily contest. A lot of these were heavily contested shots that he knocked down and he was the only shooter in the lineup. Um, you know, so he was drawing extra attention. And I think if like if Orlando were to take Smith and, you know, and you're, you're able to, to space the floor, um, you know, with Wagner, um, with Suggs, you know, with Cole Anthony and, and, you know, um, 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 Wendell, uh, his, his become a, a much better shooter in his time in the league. He's going to get a lot of open looks and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and I think that that's hard to ignore, but, you know, Bron Carroll, I mean, his ability off the dribble, uh, his ability in the mid post, his ability, uh, in the lane, he's, he's truly a three level scorer. Uh, he averaged 3.2 assists a night at Duke, um, which isn't a small feat considering, um, you know, how much, you know, Jeremy Roach and, and AJ Griffin and, and, you know, Trevor Keel, people like Trevor Keels were handling the ball. Um, you know, he's, you know, Von Carl's a real true all around threat offensively. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, he, to me, he is the guy I would take that feels the safest of these three. Yes. Right. And, you know, I, I'm with you. I think Chet has the absolute highest upside. Like, he, if if he hits his ceiling, I I would be very curious to see what kind of basketball player that is because I I've never. It's really hard to find comps for him. Like, he's so unique in his skill set, his fluidity with the ball in his hands in the full court, uh, his defensive ability, his toughness. Uh, and obviously, everybody keeps talking about the weight. I mean, that's unique too. The fact that he has this kind of impact at his weight. Uh, relative to even his peers in, at the college level, like he was a skinny guy for college, and uh, he was a skinny and, guy for high school. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he still had that impact, and that that's that's ridiculous. And you know, obviously the three point shooting if, if, of uh, Jabari Smith, you can't ignore that. You just can't. Like that's that's how he becomes a star. He, he if he becomes like the six ten version of Clay Thompson. Like yeah, that that's that that guy is going to be an all star, and that guy is going to be someone you have to contend with uh, for years and years and years. Yeah, I mean, you and I kind of view these these top three guys very similarly. Uh, let's move down to seventeen because, as I said, Houston also has pick seventeen in this draft, and I think this draft is actually most interesting from pick number seven to like pick number twenty five, and it's really a question of like, what is your draft philosophy? Do you take the players with the highest upside or do you take the players with the highest floors? And my belief has always been swing for the fences. And like it's scary, it's risky, but if you hit, it's always going to be worth it. I personally am not going to lose much sleep if I take the guy with like all-star upside and he misses versus the guy with like rock solid role player potential and he hits. Like but I feel like that's easy for me to say because I'm not going to lose my job for picking someone like Jalen Hardy over like Walker Kessler or EJ Little, right? Like I'm I'm just someone on the outside. These guys have to worry about their families. They have to worry about uh, where they're going to be in five years, and like uh, they they have to keep that stuff in mind. What is your philosophy in this range of the draft? And who are some guys that that you like could that could be realistically in the range uh, for Houston at number seventeen? Well. I mean, everybody from 11 to 17 should be um, probably focused on one guy for me, and and that's Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. Um, I think that we're going to look back at this draft five years from now, and people are going to be kicking themselves for not taking him higher. And um, for me, you know, if he gets to 17 in Houston, he's a no-brainer um, because that's exactly the kind of guy that, that they need, which is a long, switchable, athletic uh, guy who can really, really defend. And he has upside as a shooter. Um, he's one of the most versatile players in this draft. Um, I think he's a fascinating prospect. Um, you know, so – that would be kind of the guy I would target. I would also target somebody like Tori Eason, 
um, out of um, um, out of LSU, who you know is a real bruising um, forward, but you know real athleticism can can really score it uh, a lot better than he looks. Um, you know, Mark Williams from Duke, uh, who I think has a real potential. I think that he would really fit into Houston well as a vertical threat. Uh, I think that Houston really needs one of those, especially because Christian Wood is an unrestricted free agent. Um, you know, you mentioned Malachi Branham before. I love Malachi Branham. <laughs> I love him. He you know, look at him. He as in his in his only year at Ohio State, he shot forty two percent from forty one point six percent from three point range. He's got great size, great length, um, um, really cerebral for this point of his career. Um, you know, and he's a guy who wasn't highly talked about at this point. You know, and I think he's going to come in hungry. Uh, with a chip on his shoulder. Um, somebody like Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, who's been uh, one of the fastest rising, rising draft prospects. Uh, 6'7", can play to one, to two, to three, shot 39% from three for Santa Clara. He's going to be the first Santa Clara first rounder uh, since Steve Nash back in the mid-90s, 96, I believe. Um, you know, 18-4-4 and four this season. Uh, can handle the ball, can shoot it, can really score it. Um, you know, he's somebody that I really like. Uh, Uzmani Jang, um, he's a bit of a risk um, because I think that he needs two years. Wait a minute, can I say it? Fran Fischella, shout out to you. Two years away from being two years away. Let me stop. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, Probably the second best rim protector in this draft outside of um, uh, outside of Chad Holmgren, Walker Kessler from from Auburn. Uh, he was maybe the best defensive player in ba- college basketball last year. Averaged four point six blocks per game. Uh, just a terrific rim protector, terrific. And he finishes in the paint. So I think that at seventeen, uh, if you're a Houston fan, there's going to be a wide net that you can cast. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that there's going to be uh, a chance to, to come away with a really good player at that point. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the two years away from two years away line. I, I, next to Usman Jiang, I, I have in parentheses, Bruno Caboclo question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we see it. We already know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Usman Jiang, it's like, people are really projecting here man like as opposed to like looking at what he is right now i get it i get i get how tantalizing he is uh but he has so much to he has so much to work on he has so much to work on i he is someone that i would personally like let fall just because i just i i there's I, again i'm i'm all for swing for the fences this might be too much of a swing for me yeah. uh but uh, I, I get it. Listen, I, I, I don't fault anybody for, for doing it. If, if they feel like he falls to you at, like, whatever, pick 20, and you don't like what you have there, and, you know, really you're, you're probably just going to pass up on a role player, I, I don't blame anybody for taking, uh, for taking Jang. Um, so can, can you sell me a little bit on uh, Jeremy Sohan? Because... For me, I'm just not sold on his offensive ability right now. He, I, I, I completely agree with you on what he is defensively. I think he's a do-it-all guy. Could solely see, I could totally see him like finishing his NBA career with like a bunch of all defensive team honors. Well, but, for me, the, the the thing with Jeremy Sohan is, I don't even know that he has to develop a whole bunch offensively to to be worth any of his picks and from 11 to 17. That's how good I think he is defensively. And um, I think he's a potential franchise player defensively. I think he's a potential um, defensive player of the year candidate. Um, I think he can guard anywhere from two to to five. Um, He is extremely switchable. He's got great size. He's six nine. He's about. I feel like you're. You're. I feel like you're about to say it. I feel like you're going to say it. 
What, what, what am I going to say? I thought I think you I think you're going to mention Draymond because I've heard it a lot with. Uh, oh no no I wasn't no nah, I'm not okay. going to mention Draymond. I, okay. Actually, who he reminds me of, to be honest, at this point of his career, he reminds me of the Detroit Pistons version of Dennis Rodman. Okay. That's that's kind of who he reminds me of. He's in the Detroit Pistons version of Dennis Rodman. To me, was the best defensive player I've ever seen. Yeah, Sohan is an impactful defensive player right now, uh, and his tweener status should not be used against him, like it was with like guys like Draymond, like six nine, seven ten wingspan, uh, can't really shoot the ball. Uh, there's a lot of people that seem to be sold on what he is as a playmaker. I'm kind of not there yet. Uh, the shooting concerns me, but defensively, I mean, he is everything you would want out of a modern day big man. Like he is, he is ridiculous. He's act. He's like strong. He can move his feet. The, the length, the six, the seven foot wingspan is really disruptive and you can put him on anybody and he'll be able to do a good job on him. Uh, so there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to have an impact in the NBA uh, much like, like Johnny Davis, right? Like Johnny Davis is going to be an impactful NBA player, right? Uh, what to what degree that impact lies, you know, we'll see. But, you know, he has that very similar as a guard uh, slash wing or whatever. Like he, he has that very similar do it all kind of ability uh, on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I like Johnny Davis. It'll be interesting to see if he can develop his jump shot. Mm-hmm. You know, my concern with him is he's a he's a inside the arc scorer. And I'm not, I don't know how well that's going to go over at the NBA level with somebody of his size and athleticism. I think that he's got to expand his game above the arc. Um, you know, so for me, I think that he's a little bit of a risk there. Yeah, he's kind of, um, he loves taking mid-range jumpers. And he's, it's very Sean Livingston pre-injury-esque uh, in that he, he just loves getting to that area of the floor. And in the modern NBA, it's frowned upon, but... You know, much like Sean Livingston in the later half of his career, you can get away with it if you're coming off the bench and you're and you're just being a, a dynamic bench scorer, right? You can get away with it. And if you're good enough defensively, you're going to impact games. Uh, it's really a matter of is he going to be good enough defensively to where like, okay, you can you have to start him, and that offensive ability is a problem. You have to get him to expand that range. That's probably something that teams are going to weigh when uh, when taking him. Uh, and he's in this range that I think could realistically be there for Houston. But the guy you mentioned and the guy I love more than like anybody in this range of the draft uh, is Malachi Bram. I love Malachi Bram. Like it, 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 I feel like I f- it feels so wrong to be this high on a player. Like, and you know, you hear the Chris Middleton comparisons all the time, but I believe it, man. Like the three point shooting is ridiculous, and he was taking it on a good number of attempts. Uh, he, and like, he has this ability to create jumpers for himself, like kind of old school style. Like he'll do like turnaround fadeaways and stuff. And like, that's intriguing to me. Um, and like this, you know, the skepticism about his passing, it feels a little, feels a little misplaced, but I think, uh, I think every, every other area of his game is so strong where it's like, okay, I don't really care if he's not that strong of a passer. If he's this good of a shooter and this good of a, a shot creator um as well as the defensive ability like i'm i'm okay with him not being that kind of passer he doesn't have to be you don't have to draft him to be that kind of guy uh to, for him to have an impact the problem with malachi branham for houston fans is i don't know if they i don't i don't know how do you how do you pass him up if you're cleveland yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it, he's in that range, though. Like in that he, if if enough, if one or two teams pass on him, he's there. Well, right? it's, it only takes one or two. It, it does, right? Like, but Cleveland, they clearly need another off the dribble guy mm-hmm. um, to help with Darius Garland. Um, you know, you don't know if you want to pay Colin Sexton a hundred million dollars to form, you know, uh, a micro small backcourt. You don't know if, um, 
you don't know if you want to trade Karis LeVert or keep him. Right now, like you can draft Malachi Branham, and he can be he can come off the bench and and be a ball in hand option off of your bench, like almost right away, and he could do it on a rookie deal. Um, yeah. So if you if I'm Cleveland, like I'm really looking at him uh, to supplement my front court, and plus, you know, there are minutes there because we don't know if Isaac or Quarles is even a starter at the NBA level at this point. Um, you know, so or you know, Cleveland might just take Jeremy Sohan, and guess what? They just be able to just lock down everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, the the I I have fit concerns with Malachi in Houston, um, just because there are two guys who really need the basketball there in the starting lineup, um, and you know, let's say they draft uh, Brian Carroll, then you got three guys in your starting lineup who really need the basketball in their hands. Um, to be effective. Um, and you already have uh, Josh Christopher coming off the bench who really, really needs the ball in his hands to be effective. I think that if you're Houston at 17, and this is why I like Jeremy, I keep saying his name, this is why I like Jeremy Sohan for, for Houston at 17, you got to take somebody that doesn't need the ball in their hands to be effective, to, to impact games. So... You're looking at Sohan. You're looking at Mark Williams, potentially. Um, you're looking at Walker Kessler because you need a rim protector. Um, um, you're even looking at Tory Eason. You might even be looking at somebody like an EJ Liddell uh, out, of, um, uh, out of Ohio State. You might be looking at somebody like a Christian Brown, maybe even a, a, a Dalen Terry. Guys who are well-versed, uh, you know, well, not, not so much EJ Liddell, but the other guys, they're really well-versed at, you know, catching and shooting, uh, defending at a high level, um, you know, switching at a high level, um, or protecting the rim in Walker Kessler's case um, and Mark Williams' case. Guys who don't need the basketball to be, be effective. Because right now, um, you know, right now you have to you have to build a balanced roster, um, and you have to have a, a roster with some balance. And, and right now, Houston has plenty of guys who are really good uh, with the ball in their hands at, at making plays, um, you know, and they don't have enough guys who aren't who aren't that. So. I think they need to get some of those guys who, who can you know make plays without the ball in their hands and and on their roster. I hear you, Tony. But the shooting really alleviates a lot of the concerns for me with Branham uh, as a fit. Like he's just such a ridiculous shooter. I think he can make it. A, I think he can make it as a catch and shoot guy in the NBA. Agree. And he, I agree. I agree with that. Right, and, and he doesn't. Of course, of course, he's going to need the basketball to score. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say you're going to make him uh, a guy that stands still and shoot, but like he's going to be someone I think defensively is so good, uh, and as a shooter is so good that you're willing to, at least in my opinion, you know, you may disagree. Like, I think you're willing to work through any potential fit concerns because the upside is so high. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, and I think that there's definitely something. Um, to be said about that, um, you know, but it's, you know, and I think that, you know, at the same, at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's hard to build a winner in the NBA and, you know, and I think that, that, you know, the lines are so blurred, uh, in terms of, in, in terms of doing that, um, that they can get lost sometimes, but, you know, I think that, you know, you know, when you look at, you know, some of some of these rosters, you know, they've got to be a perfect blend, right? Like they've got to be, you know, you've got to have your rim protection. You've got to have your wings. You've got to have guys that come off the bench. You've got to have, 
you've got to have a lot of balance of everything. So, uh, and I think that that's the, those are the toughest things to achieve. You know, it's not hard to, to accumulate a roster with talent, but it, it is hard to accumulate a roster uh, of talent that complements each other from one to 15. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And the Rockets do have a desperate need for defense in the front court. Like you're 100% right on that. Like they, they're going to need guys in that front court that can defend. You don't know yet if, uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. or Jay Sean Tate or Usman Garuba, if any of those guys can be that, right? Or if any of those guys will be there long-term, right? And having some some solidification there uh, with someone like Walker Kessler or someone like Mark Williams, who I think would be great fits for Houston, right? And I think if, if, they, if the Rockets walk away with one of those two guys on draft night, I think they'd be thrilled, right? And I think actually one of those two guys will be available for them. At least Walker Kessler will be uh, in that range. Um, and if you're, if you're strictly looking at fit, yeah, those guys fit better. Uh, I'm, I'm someone that's like, man, I, I just, I don't want to go to sleep at night knowing that I passed up on a potential all-star, but then again, that might not even be there for them. You know, these guys, these teams may just take, that might be gone by the time, uh, it gets to Houston at 17. You know, you may not get the opportunity to draft a Dyson Daniels or a Johnny Davis or, um, you know, any of these guys that we're talking about, because they may just be gone by then. And Well, if you draft Malachi Branham, right, and you say, okay, he's a future all-star, or mm-hmm. he, he's a guy who's a potential future all-star, and you put him in his Houston system, how many shots a night is he getting to maximize that potential? Uh, maybe like 10. <laughs> like really? 10 or, yeah, because I, I, I don't think Kevin Porter Jr. is – I, I don't Kevin's think he's going to take their, 15. Kevin's going to yeah. take 15 shots a night. Yeah, right. I don't think he's part of their long term future. I, I just don't. I don't think he's. Or, a point if you're telling me that he's not there, that's one thing. Yeah, that, maybe that. Maybe that's just me. I, I, the Rockets are very high on him, right? And they do view him as part of the long term future. And I, I differ from them on that. So if if they come to a point where they realize that hey, he is not a point guard. And he probably is better suited to play like your shooting guard off the bench kind of role. Uh, then I think Brenham makes a lot of sense. But if they never come to that role, maybe you're, perhaps you're right. Maybe it is just a terrible fit. Yeah, you know, I mean, because all right, so you drop him in the Houston system next year. You know, Kevin's taking 15 shots. Uh, Jalen Green is taking 18 shots, easy. Paolo's taking 14. 14 pretty easily. Josh Christopher's coming off the bench. He's taking 14. It, it gets hard. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a the balancing act that you have to do as a general manager is something I don't envy. Uh, it's just, you know, you, you just don't want to be the GM that passes on All Star, you know, like, or, or that it just makes you, you, there's a certain level of comfort going to sleep at night knowing that you did that you went with your gut or like you went with the the guy you think has the highest upside but at the same time uh it could be a disaster fit wise and you may have to trade the all-star eventually down the line right yeah um yeah i i I think we had a pretty good conversation here it's gonna be really interesting what houston does with number number 17 i think we kind of know what they're doing at set at uh at three right i think we we both kind of expect them to take boncaro uh, and it would be interesting to see how that fits, right? Like, I think uh, defensively in the front court, it's going to be a little tricky, especially if Christian Wood and Elper and Shengun are still there. But I think Boncaro has higher defensive upside than I think some are giving him credit for. And in the at the end of the day, I think he's a building block. And Jalen Green, I think we know, is a building block. And having two building blocks in-house, or at least that's kind of what we think is the draft is going to be. That's you know that's a good place to be as a as a franchise, right? Absolutely, and you know, not, uh, you know, I like like we said with those Brooklyn picks, I would just keep them, let those picks play out, and and see where they are because there's a world where, you know, what years are those picks? By the way, so they're picks and they're pick swaps. So they're they're going to extend all the way up until 2026. There's a world where 2026 Brooklyn Nets is not that good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's 
one of those things where all it takes is one bad season or one unexpected season for one of those picks to be good. It doesn't. Ha- it doesn't even have to be like a season in which uh, or an off season in, in which KD and Kyrie leave. It, it can just be as simple as Kyrie missed half of the season. KD missed half of the season. Right. Like it can, it, it can and, be that simple. And it could be as simple as 2026 KD is 37 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I, I will say 37 year old KD is still going to be a hell of a shooter. <laughs> that guy's still going to be a hell of a shooter. Be a hell of a shooter but I do not think that 2020 37 year old KD is going to be as good a player as 37 year old LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably. You're, you're probably right. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how that Brooklyn situation develops, how they integrate Ben Simmons when he finally gets on the floor. Uh, I can't wait to, to finally watch them with Ben Simmons in hand. But, uh, yeah, that that is that is something Houston's going to be watching for. And they have the patience to be like, you know what, we don't even need those picks to be home runs because we got lucky two, two years in a row in the lottery and we got top three picks, right? Yes. And. And if those if those picks end up being, you know, 15, 20, 25, it's just gravy. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Tony. Where can we follow you on Twitter and read your work? Um, you can follow me on T Jones on the NBA. Um, and, you know, just, you know, follow me at The Athletic and please read my work. And I hope it's good. And I appreciate all of you guys. Sounds good. I'll talk to you down the road now. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.